1: Hello, and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, and joining me as usual is ITK Principal David Leach. David, I trust you are well giles i'm well
2: and i'm sure all our listeners are eagerly tuning in uh this evening uh because of the big events going on and what a great interview we've got to talk about what's happening in queensland
1: well absolutely now so queensland has released its um, long-awaited and uh, recently promoted um, energy plan it is a remarkable switch from the state currently the most coal dependent in australia to one that um Hopes to lead the country or at least lead the world or, or, the, or the other way around. Anyway, we earlier today got to speak to the Queensland Energy Minister, Mick DeBrenny, and this is how the conversation went. Minister Mick DeBrenny, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast.
3: Pleasure to be here on an historic day for energy in Queensland, in effect, for the nation.
1: Well, indeed, it's a it's a remarkable um, announcement. A 10-year plan. You're aiming for 80% renewables by 2035. You've outlined a path to basically phase out coal power and what is, I think, the youngest um, coal generation fleet in the country. Uh, plans for 22 gigawatts of new wind and solar. A whole bunch of storage plans that we'll get into. My first question, though, has to be. How the heck are you going to actually build all this in time, given that your own documents suggest that you're going to have to treble or even quadruple
3: the rate of um, installation that we've seen over the last five years? Look, that's an excellent question. Uh, This plan uh, is incredibly bold, uh, but it's also pragmatic. And so one of the initiatives in the plan uh, is the construction of two training centres for the workforce that we know that we'll need. In fact... Uh, Independent modelling shows that uh, the supergrid, this is the backbone infrastructure that will connect all of these assets, move power around Queensland, will require 64,000 jobs to be created uh, by uh, uh, 2040. That's extraordinary, uh, but we'll be training uh, 570 Uh, uh, electricity sector workers in those two new training centres. The plan also commits our government, with my colleague, the Minister for Employment and Training, to develop an energy sector workforce plan. We know that uh, our TAFE system will play a big role in that. Uh, Just next week, uh, we'll open the Renewable Energy Training Centre that is being uh, managed by the Electrical Trades Union uh, and uh, its industry partners uh, out at uh, Pinkenbar we'll also be opening the hydrogen training center of excellence uh, in Lee very soon uh, and so we understand that there are uh, market capacity uh, challenges uh, that's why uh, in the development of this plan that has been over a year in the works we've already started uh, progress on initiatives like the Barumba Pumped Hydro. So uh, for months now, we've had teams out uh, doing the exploratory uh, drilling. Uh, we have been working in the background. Uh, that's why we uh, announced the uh, um, the commitment to uh, Australia's largest publicly owned wind farm uh, on Monday. Uh, so we're not starting uh, from a, a standing start. We have been making really significant progress uh, since we took office in 2015, uh, what this uh, announcement uh, delivers today is really the start of a, a massive ramp up. Uh, the $62 billion of investment uh, supporting uh, the rollout of the Queensland supergrid. Uh, for us, uh, is uh, very similar to the sorts of pioneering initiatives that we've seen uh, in the first many hundred years of uh, our nation, uh, things like the railways, the construction of the national highway. Uh, and when you look at the uh, announcement of the Pioneer Burdick and Pumped Hydro being the largest scheme of its type uh, in the world, uh, it really uh, takes you back to you know, 1948 when uh, Ben Chifley <laughs> announced the construction of uh, Snowy. That came uh, as part of their initiatives to start the reconstruction of the nation after World War II. Mm. Uh, and this is uh, of, of an even larger scale than that. And so we'll work hard. But I think you know, attracting workers uh, and uh, businesses to uh, Queensland to build the Queensland Supergrid uh, will be easy because people will be inspired about being part of uh, this nation building infrastructure. They know uh, that without delivering the Queensland supergrid, uh, the nation can't achieve its emissions reduction targets. Uh, and so I think people are lining up to come to Queensland. We've got a great lifestyle. We've got a really comprehensive plan. Uh, people want to be a part well, of it. Well, I- I hope you're more successful in, in, in attracting workers for your um, supergrid plan than
1: Byron is in attracting baristas to his coffee shops. Um, <laughs> well, this um, is slightly, slightly more meaningful work. <laughs> well, I don't know. In the morning, one could be very desperate for a coffee. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's very much in line with the integrated system plan, which I think has reassured a lot of people out there and it hasn't fallen short of that. I'm just wondering what the sort of the genesis of this was because you had a 50% renewable energy target since 2015. I mean, making you know, in reality, quite slow progress towards that, what suddenly sort of jolted Queensland into action? Was it it seeing the ISP and going, oh, golly gosh, we better get our act together here and catch up with this? Or was there other sort of drivers within the state, the private investors, all these big green hydrogen plants that you just guys thought, yeah, we really want to sort of push this as far as we can go? Because the conversation up to now in Queensland seems like we
3: don't want to close coal early. Well, I think there's been a a number of factors that have led to uh, this decision um, to uh, commit this plan. So it was in June uh, last year in Townsville, the Premier uh, commissioned myself and colleague ministers to develop this plan. Uh, We wanted to not just announce targets, we wanted to actually demonstrate to to industry, to citizens, uh, to the community that we could actually deliver it. But here in Queensland, we have seen natural disasters uh, at increasing levels of severity and frequency. Um, For those that uh, don't live in Queensland, we experienced just a couple of years ago some of the most extraordinary firestorms ripped through parts of Queensland uh, that that, uh, anybody could ever have imagined. They were the sorts of things that you see from uh, the United States or uh, Europe, uh, and they were here on our doorstep. Repeated floods that we've seen uh, devastate uh, our, our, our east coast again and again have been revisited uh, upon uh, Queensland uh, too many times. Uh, and as well as that, uh, we have seen the customers of our government-owned corporations, our big uh, generators that have been primarily relying on coal-fired generation, uh, demanding uh, low emissions electricity. Uh, and so with all of those factors uh, on our plate, uh, it was clear that the time uh, was right uh, for us to um, uh, develop this plan. And the announcement today um, that has been at the same time uh, welcomed uh, by the Queensland uh, Resources Council, the WWF uh, and representatives of the workforce in the ETU. So across uh, industry, the conservation movement, uh, workforce and community uh, uh, demonstrates that the, the time was right, uh, clearly uh, citizens of this nations and global citizens know uh, that we must take action on climate. They know that we've got to do something about the cost of living and, and clearly uh, the, the pathway to more affordable electricity is through more renewables. And they care, uh, Australians care about protecting each other uh, and this plan really takes action on all three of those values.
2: Minister, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the financing of it generally and where you expect the money, like roughly what uh, percentage of that $62 and I expect myself that's about the least it could be because it always costs more. How much of that's actually going to come from the state government or Powerlink and how much you expect broadly to come from the private sector?
3: So public ownership is a really key factor uh, for Queensland, as as you all know, it's what's allowed us to return uh, dividends from our. Uh, government-owned corporations uh, back to citizens most recently with a $175 cost of living rebate. Uh, but it's also what allows us to take a really orderly uh, approach uh, to this transition. Uh, it's also helped us um, define the value of the supergrid uh, and put those cost estimations uh, around it. Uh, and so we've been working uh, across the last 12 months with our uh, technical experts from within inside those uh, government owned corporations, uh, as well as uh, independent uh, entities, uh, we're pretty confident uh, in those costings. Uh, in terms of what government will uh, build, own and operate, so we'll be entirely responsible for the financing of that. Uh, our transmission system will be uh, remain entirely publicly owned, uh, and so that will be uh, funded in the, the ordinary way that transmission projects are. And Today's announcement of the plan, we'll see these projects move uh, right up the list uh, in the ISP. Uh, in terms of uh, distribution, that will remain uh, entirely publicly owned, so uh, funded in a similar way. Uh, deep storage, our battery investment, uh, these new mega projects, these uh, pumped hydros, uh, the half a billion dollars announced in uh, batteries uh, today, which is uh, going to be just the start of what we need to deliver, they will be Uh, publicly owned uh, as well Uh, and we have committed to maintaining majority uh, public ownership uh, of the generation uh, um, elements Uh, and that's why we announced uh, Australia's uh, largest publicly owned uh, wind farm Uh, and so from that 62 billion dollars you know there will be um, uh, some government equity uh, and uh, there will obviously be uh, government owned corporation uh, borrowings to fund a significant amount of that uh, as you can expect, uh, the, um, these are revenue-generating assets and so it is good debt for us to be uh, taking on. Um, we think that uh, even... Uh, we know that even with um, the, uh, the debt that will uh, our government-owned corporations will take on, there will still be a lower debt profile than New South Wales uh, or Victoria. Uh, and therefore, the private sector and their contribution to that, um, that minority um, component of the new generation... Maybe it's about a quarter of the total investment that, you know, we don't want to put a precise figure on that. But what we have put a precise figure on is exactly how much Queenslanders will own and control themselves. That's
2: great. Thank you for that. And and I would just observe that with, uh, you know, 20 gigawatts of wind and solar, there's a lot of work that has to go into site acquisition and even within renewable energy zones and social license type issues and you, you know, a different set of skills to what I would imagine Stanwell and CS Energy have traditionally had. But that's just my observation, uh, stuff that I might observe the private sector's had a lot of practice at. And I guess you guys will get good at it too. The other thing I think uh, that the Premier made a, a discussion about, and which I probably agree with, is that the electricity prices, uh, uh, I think I heard some mention of about $56 a megawatt hour or something in real terms. Could you just uh, uh, talk a little bit about what you your modelling shows for the prices and what's how you did the modelling or uh, that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, the Premier's is right. Uh, that's uh, the um, average price over the uh, over the next um, period up until uh, twenty thirty five. Um, that delivers in uh, retail, uh, so for household bills, a one hundred and fifty dollar. Uh, lower retail bill on average uh, by 2032 um, of course the the path forward is not always straightforward and so as you as you can appreciate uh, wholesale electricity prices will be uh, bumpy along that uh, along that trajectory but they will be significantly lower than without uh, a plan uh, and so the independent modeling uh, that we're relying on has uh, confirmed uh, that. Um, we know that uh, uh, the majority of those savings will obviously start to accrue uh, as we see less and less uh, reliance on uh, those those very volatile um, uh, commodities uh, that we're seeing impacted uh, globally at the moment. So as we see less reliance on coal and gas uh, and more of that really cheap solar and wind coming in, uh, we'll see those prices coming down substantially. And there's some uh, indicators of uh, those price paths um, that, that uh, the, the Premier's indicated today. Um, uh, you know, We know that um, uh, over the next uh, 12 months, we, you know, we can expect to see the default market offer um, probably still tick up. But the good thing here in Queensland is that, um, you know, that, that additional um, revenue will still come back to Queenslanders through their government-owned corporations. And so uh, we're very confident that we can deliver on both uh, reliability, affordability uh, and low emissions uh, through this plan.
1: I'm just wondering if you can talk about um, this, um, this uh, dam. I mean, the five gigawatt um, um the Burdekin Pioneer Dam, I think mm. it is. Um, describe how that's going to be. It's going to be two separate reservoirs. I, well, that's what normally what pumped hydro is, what's existing, what has to be added, what are the environmental implications. And I'm also interested in asking why you've gone so big on pumped hydro over battery storage. It seems to me that when the rest of the market is starting to think about sort of managing the grid through infertive based technologies, advanced batteries, you guys are kind of hanging on to synchronous and spinning machines because you've got your coal generators at as synchronous
3: condensers and then you've got your pumped hydro plants as well. I'm just wondering if you can explain the thinking behind that. So our commitment uh, to reliability is a very strong one. Uh, It was one of the uh, criteria, if you like, that was set for me in developing uh, this plan. Um, There's no point in having a, a low emissions power system if you can't flick a switch and rely on power coming on. Uh, and so we will have uh, through this plan uh, a, a firming strategy being developed uh, that will articulate uh, how our, our batteries, uh, how our pumped hydro, uh, how our uh, hydrogen uh, industry will work as a, a reverse peaker uh, um, articulated Uh, But the reason we've gone big on pumped hydro is simply because uh, Queensland uh, is blessed with incredible natural assets. So uh, our Western Plains where uh, we can uh, attract significant uh, solar generation uh, and uh, the hills nearby where we have excellent wind resources uh, and then we've got the Great Dividing Range. Uh, And so the elevation uh, that we can achieve uh, through our pumped hydros is uh, second to none uh, across uh, the nation. We've uh, we've looked uh, you know across thousands of sites uh, in Queensland, and we've identified uh, Barumba and the uh, Pioneer Burdekin project uh, as the, uh, the you know the optimum sites. Uh, Pioneer Burdekin is likely to have two uh, upper reservoirs, so it will be built across two stages. Uh, of course, uh, typical uh, underground uh, power stations. Um, Really importantly, these sites have been chosen as well uh, for their um, uh, um, low impact uh, on um, communities uh, and low impact uh, on uh, environmental uh, and protected areas. So neither of these projects uh, will see inundation uh, of National Park. Uh, They won't see uh, impacts of uh, significance uh, to uh, towns or cities. There will be uh, some properties um, impacted in uh, the pioneer uh, Burdekin region. Uh, they are um, uh, farming properties where there's typically been uh, sugarcane cane uh, and some dairy farming uh, occurring. Uh, we're working with those landowners uh, at the moment. Uh, the resumptions for those, um, I think, will be um, not out of step with what was, has occurred for other infrastructure uh, like roads, et cetera uh, in that region uh, of late, and so we're very confident we'll be able to get through those. Uh, neither project will impact uh, on um, uh, environmental low flows through their, uh, their, uh, their tributaries uh, and in the rivers in, uh, to, in which they uh, flow, in fact, uh, the Pioneer Burdekin, uh project has some very strong benefits for the Great Barrier Reef uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, you know managing sediment um, from uh, those uh, those cane fields etc that exist there. So uh, these are really high quality sites uh, that uh, are close to. Uh, the uh, demand uh, centres of uh, Gladstone and Southeast Queensland. Uh, you know, Queensland uh, is a very, very lucky state uh, for a, for a range of reasons. Um, but these uh, these natural assets uh, really lend themselves to these projects. David, you've got another question. I know the minister's short of time, so I've got a couple of others,
1: but you can go. Ahead.
2: Uh, I, I see the, um, that there's some. Uh, the option of developing what used to be called uh, copper string, uh, the north, the, the minerals up there. And I guess, you know, also, um, if you could, have you, what is happening in Gladstone with the potential, um, what Rio might do with the um, uh, Boyne Island smelter, I guess that all fits in with the plans as well.
3: So the protection of our industrial centres has been a real focus here and the uh, the grid reinforcement that we'll do around uh, central Queensland, thinking about Boyne Smelter as the largest consumer of electricity in the state and uh, its owners, Rio Tinto's, uh, desires to uh, uh, drive down their emissions has really factored into the development of the super grid. Uh, and so we'll be able to move power around that region. We'll be able to support uh, Rio Tinto's decarbonisation uh, efforts, uh, and then going north uh, up to Townsville and then west out to Hewenden, the supergrid will continue on that 500 kilovolt line. Uh, and that's important because Hewenden, uh region has some uh, incredible wind resources there. We know that uh, um, over uh, the, you know, the very short term period, we're likely to see uh, a, real, uh, a, a real race uh, from investors into that period to partner with government on those wind resources. Uh, but we do continue uh, the 275-kilovolt line then as a second stage out to Mount Isa. And the reason that we're doing that uh, is for a couple of um, uh, key, uh, key aspects. The first one is about connecting the Mount Isa uh, region uh, to the national electricity market, of course, uh, but also... Uh, uh, making sure that we're able to capitalise on the minerals uh, in the northwest there. So that northwest minerals province is very rich uh, in the new economy minerals uh, and we want to make sure that uh, those projects can go ahead. Uh, We know that there'll be uh, uh, resources there for our battery industry, for example, uh, and for um, a range of other sectors uh, around technology too. So uh, the supergrid uh, will connect uh, from southeast Queensland to Townsville out to Hughenden, and then we'll con- then we'll connect uh, the northwest minerals province as well. And that's really an economic development project for our state.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm just interested about the in, in, uh, reference to flow batteries. Um, you still want to have about three gigawatts of um, large scale um, batteries and about six gigawatts of um, household and business batteries. But mm. I was kind of intrigued by your sort of focus on on flow batteries. Um, I think there's
3: a reference to sort of um, being able to use the minerals that are found in Queensland. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Look, I think that's a really important point, um, you know, uh, this plan not only uh, creates energy uh, to serve demand, but we've used energy as uh, a means to uh, drive economic growth. Uh, and so we think that if we can uh, um, condition uh, our projects uh, around um, uh, utilising uh, minerals uh, and resources that are found in their abundance here in Queensland. Not only will we create those jobs in the construction of the supergrid 64,000 jobs by 2040, um, but we also think that we can drive a a further 36,000 jobs by 2040 in key sectors of the economy uh, than uh, we would have been able to do without a plan. That means very significant uh, increase to our, our gross state product. It means that we drive wealth in households uh, estimated uh, um, by uh, 2035 that households will be $10,000 per annum better off simply because we've created stronger industries and, and better jobs. And so driving a, a a storage strategy, an affirming strategy that relies on uh, minerals that are found in abundance in Queensland helps stand up that resources sector. And so our Buy Queensland Procurement Policy, which has been very successful, we've had in place since 2017, has been a big part of our economic success story and our jobs story, we will apply that to our renewable uh, energy sector build-out and the construction of the supergrid. And so not only will we deliver uh, cheaper energy, we'll stand up uh, whole new industries around those new uh, economy minerals uh, and, of course, green hydrogen is the other major play that will result from the Queensland Energy and Jobs Plan.
1: Indeed. Um, Minister, um, we'd love to keep you on for a while, but have you got a couple more minutes or you got to... um...
3: I've got another couple, yep. uh,
2: Could I I then quickly just ask about uh, behind the metre? Sorry, Giles. uh, You know, the the households that actually have done so much to... uh, How how do they fit into this plan and uh, what's their... Do they have a different role in the future to what they have now?
3: So Queensland households have played a really significant role in uh, the... Um, the the recent success uh, of our renewable energy story, of course, Queenslanders uh, and their households are the largest electricity generator uh, in the nation at around uh, 4 gigawatts. In fact, uh, last Monday, uh, 54% of Queensland's electricity came from uh, solar. Uh, And so we expect to see the growth of rooftop solar continue. Um, But we know that to enable that to happen, uh, we have to invest uh, in the distribution system and we have to invest uh, in storage. And so uh, we, that's why we'll see the, uh, the community batteries rolling out across the state. There'll be some that'll be at substations. There'll be some uh, that'll be at, uh, at uh, other public uh, infrastructure. There'll be some that will be uh, on uh, power poles uh, running down streets as well, so across a range of sizes. We know that the, the best way for us to support more people to put solar Uh, on their roofs is to have uh, somewhere to store that. And so uh, our plan will start to roll that out. Um, The plan also uh, delivers a placeholder in terms of a range of other initiatives that will support households that we will announce uh, in the near future. And so I'm looking forward to the Premier making those uh, announcements. But ultimately the best way that we can support uh, households to uh, reduce uh, their cost of living Uh, is to continue to put uh, downward pressure on uh, electricity prices. And the best way that we think to do that is to maintain public ownership uh, of the system. Uh, Instead of seeing hundreds of millions of dollars or more uh, leave our state uh, in terms of uh, shareholder returns, we see that money kept back uh, here in Queensland and returned to uh, Queensland households in terms of uh, asset ownership, dividends, etc. In fact, uh, over a billion dollars in uh, electricity and energy rebates in just the last few years to Queenslanders. So Queenslanders will continue to play a very strong role, and we look forward to now that we've uh, announced, you know, the the real backbone of our energy transition, the uh, the Queensland supergrid, uh, and uh, outlined that uh, pathway forward, um, the, the bringing forward and extending of our uh, uh, of our targets. Um, the legislation of those, the legislating our job security guarantee, and we've locked away those key initiatives. Uh, We'll start now over the the near term uh, to start making further announcements about how we'll support households and how we'll support small business in particular uh, to continue to play a, a very significant role. Well, Minister, we do have
1: many more questions, but we understand that your time is pressed. We do thank you for your time today. Um, Once again, congratulations on the announcement. Um, Good luck with the rollout. And thank you for joining the Energy Insiders
3: podcast. You're very welcome. Cheers. Thanks for having me.
1: And that was Nick DeBrenny, the Queensland State Energy Minister. Look, um, David, I don't think Queensland is going to be leading Australia because I think South Australia is well ahead of it. I don't think it's going to lead the world, Um, but it is a hugely significant um, transition announcement from the state government and I think they should be applauded. Do they have the advantage of public ownership?
2: Uh, I think it's got its pluses and its minuses and like anything else it's uh, not it, they may, will make the public ownership uh, work for them. I think at the very least they have the ability to control the timing of the coal exits and and uh, that is very helpful. Uh, you know the cynical part of me wants to talk about the, the the big dam you know as opposed to the big banana or something but, Uh, I think overall, this is a... a, They've actually got both. They've got got a
1: big banana range wind farm and a big dam.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If it's in Queensland, it has to be big. But uh, look, I think it's a terrific plan, uh, really, in terms of its scope. And what it does, it may not lead the world, but it will allow Queensland to take the place that I think its natural resources really entitle it to. Uh, because it has got such great wind and solar resources. The only thing it doesn't really have, mostly where it's needed, is is the hydro directly, but they can certainly uh, build the dams. And I think we you'd have to mention the politics, uh, because a lot of the investment uh, and the sorts of investment, like building dams, is stuff that North Queensland and Central Queensland will be able to relate to very easily. And so the fact that the coal is going away, you'll be really able to point to a lot of investment and a lot of jobs uh, in areas uh, that, that matter to those people.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I do wonder about their commitment to these sort of spinning machines and synchronous condensers, um, you know, which um, these coal generators will become um, and sort of not sort of embracing so, so wholeheartedly the um, the advanced grid inverter technology. But anyway, but it's interesting as well that they're really looking to the future of manufacturing in Queensland. I mean, they have they can see that their two biggest energy consumers, um, the Born Island Smelter, the Sun Metal Zinc Refinery, want to go zero emissions. They've got people like Andrew Forrest and a whole bunch of others just were sort of saying, let's build multi gigawatt scale wind and solar. So really to do anything but this and prepare the, um, prepare the groundwork for this transition would have been irresponsible. Um, but it is fantastic that they've actually come on board and they have given a very specific closure dates for all the state-owned generators and that's really quite remarkable considering where they've come from. Uh,
2: absolutely, Giles. And, and you know, it's a, it's a well-developed plan. I think when they originally set the uh, 50% target, that was kind of a, you know, it might happen or it might not. This is much more, we're very committed to what we're going to do. It's going to be legislated. And look, there'll be tons more opportunity to talk about that. Uh, what else has caught your your attention this week?
1: Well, I think the Victoria um, um, energy storage target was really interesting too, um, unveiled by Lily D'Ambrosio um, and um, and the Premier. Um, earlier this week, uh, 6.3 gigawatts. Um, particularly interesting, this new big battery that's going to be built in Kerrang, the old uh, rhombus of regret. And what's interesting about that is that this battery is actually one attender set by AEMO to provide system strength for the grid. Now, system strength has traditionally been um, delivered by coal generators and gas generators. In South Australia, they've already moved on to having synchronous condensers, which is really a 50-year-old technology, spinning machines that don't burn fuel, but they're kind of one-trick ponies. And what's really interesting about this battery is it's kind of like it's it's sort of come across you know it's it's broken down another barrier to the 100% renewable grid that we now understand that we can achieve um, and by providing system strength with battery storage and of course it can still do all the other things that it can do, arbitrage and FCAS and um, and what have you. So um, that particularly caught my eye.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, although I must say I've always thought that, you know, we've tried to promote grid, the, what was happening in grid forming inverters and I think it's got a long way to go uh, and we are going to have an inverter-driven uh, grid one of these days, which would be very interesting. To, uh, the jobs that never get mentioned are the software jobs, and there's going to be just so many of them with integrating all the behind the, the meter stuff as well. And uh, uh, I see over in West Australia, there the orchestration program, program that AEMO is uh, is working on is, is, is starting to have some new goals. And talking about big batteries, uh, we've got on the one hand development of the Waratah battery in New South Wales as well. And then not exactly a battery, although it could move its uh, demand response. Tomago Aluminium is uh, uh, looking for partners to shift to 100% renewables. And as we heard uh, in the interview, that's part of Rio's big push, something I've been confident about for some time, but it's
1: becoming more and more visible. Yes, it is. And then on the other hand, you've got um, um, Trevor St Baker and Brian Fall- Flannery, the two coal banners bailing out of some Vale's Point and purchased by um, a Czech investor who also happens to own one of the um, privately owned coal generators in Queensland. I can't remember the name of the Czech investors. It, it, but anyway, and
2: they, they partly own it with, uh, with, with um, uh, CSNG
1: or CS Energy, oh, I guess Sears Energy, beg my pardon. Um, What do you think they're up to here, David? I mean, have they bought it for a peppercorn price or are they sort of determined to sort of continue on with coal generation until um, they get a payout from the government?
2: Look, I want to give a credit to the Financial Review's uh, Neil Chenoweth, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, who is one of the best uh, uh, analysts of accounting uh, statements that that exists in Australia. kind of wasted at the financial review, in my opinion.
1: Uh, <laughs> I echo you your endorsement of Neil Chinworth. Um, I used to work with him for many years and, um, and a fantastic analyst.
2: And he did a good uh, piece on the Delta statements pointing out that you know the revalue of the assets up to 700 million uh, was probably necessary because uh, they, they had actually a lot of problems with their financial hedges that had, that had gone negative at that time. Uh, and, you know, working out what they sold it for after you take everything into account will be a bit of bit of work, but I've got no doubt whatsoever they made a, a very good profit and great dividend out of them. And look, uh, I can never criticize someone for making money by taking a bet, uh, holding the asset and selling the asset. I think their timing's been fantastic. I'm uh, um, more, more power to them, really.
1: Well, more power to them, yes, but it's a bit unfortunate some of their comments um, about the um, about the green energy transition. I think uh, Trevor St Baker was one of the people who sort of said we can never go renewables or more than 50% renewables, but um, clearly we can and we are and we will. Um, uh, it
2: but- reminds me, Giles, it reminds me of a uh, guy that wrote One Up on Wall Street who used to manage the Fidelity Fund. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but... In his book he talks about how he'd go in and have this very gloomy uh baron's round table where they talk about in the equivalent of whatever it is of russia's invasion of ukraine and inflation and interest rates and uh, you know the world was going to go end and then he'd go outside and make a lot of money by finding seven stocks that were undervalued you know and in a, in a way uh uh what what trevison baker's doing i mean I, no one takes any notice of what he says you're better off at looking at what
1: he actually does yeah, I suppose that. Anything else that we need to report, um, David? Um, it was the sixth anniversary of the uh, South Australia blackout um, this week. Um, and uh, we have just published a little graph, actually, this week just to sort of show how... Rather than actually sort of slowing up and sort of killing the transition to renewables, and if anything, it's actually sort of um, accelerated it, and still and and indeed made the market operators and the regulators and the rule makers, well, particularly the operator, think more clearly about how a modern grid will work um, based around on wind, solar, storage, and basically inverters. Um, so. Um, Yes, Malcolm. Just...
2: Terrell, it was as Malcolm Turnbull said, it was an experiment, and guess what? It was a it was a successful one in South Australia. Look, we shouldn't take up too much time. The only other thing I want to mention as a as a quick headline before we get on to our thanks is um, Grock's proposal for four new people for the AGL board. Looks like a great list uh, when I look at it myself, and I, I hope AGL can uh, take some of uh, see how good it would be to have some really fresh thinking in there, as well as just having uh, Miles George.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I thoroughly agree with, with you on that one. Okay, David, I think that's a wrap. Um, we will certainly be writing more about the Queensland Energy Plan. I think there's a lot of elements to it, uh, not least just the planned closure of the coal, more analysis of the pumped hydro plans, even there sort of... Um, their idea for flow batteries for using some of the state minerals so um, a lot more to dive into anyway um, thanks to minister mick DeBrenny for joining the podcast this week thanks of course to our regular sponsors pylon and evergen for the ongoing continuing support thanks to you david thanks to all our listeners out there please send us suggestions of who we might want to interview or any other comments um be great to read some out and um, that'll be it for this week bye for now
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant. Generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole, Evergen software is powering the energy system of the future.